you're listening to the True Life Church podcast. To learn more about True Life Church, including our service times in Melbourne, Florida, join us online at truelifemelbourne.com or find us on Facebook. Today's message comes from lead pastor Joshua Smith. Welcome a little bit to True Life Church version 8.0. It's our about to start our eighth year as a church, kind of important. We'll be talking about that in a couple of weeks. I say 8.0 because in a couple of weeks there'll be they will, there will be version 8.1 and 8.2. You know, we got the wall done, and that ended up being okay uh, and great. There's there's more to, in the in the works and plans, more to do. So if you want a project to serve and help out with, talk to myself or Mike Avento. We'll, we'll get you the deets, the details. Um, so this is 8.0, and it's an important time as we kind of hit almost a reset and refresh button uh, here as a church. And it's so great because we're coming out of a, a, a nine-week series moving through Second Chronicles and into Ezra, and now that lands us, we hinted at it a couple weeks ago um, near the end of our Return to Me series, getting into the first chapter of Nehemiah, and that's what we're going to pick up in a few moments. Uh, and then Lance filled in last week and did a great job. Uh, thank you again for giving the message. Um, and uh, you can catch that on our podcast if you missed that. Last week is on our website and podcast or Apple and Android or whatever you got. It's there. So you can hear Lance's message. And we're going to get into this new series on Nehemiah. And it's great because as we've shifted out of being in the round, and now we're kind of back forward, some things are new, some things are old, and some things are going to stay the same. We are the bride of Christ, like, right? So, as a church, you know, there's that phrase of something old, something new, something borrowed, something blue. We'll have all of those covered because we can make the lights blue. Um, so, we're just uh, shifting things and, and, and almost rediscovering ourselves and being called back to the return to me uh, moment. And so, I, I hope over the next um, weeks and months um, that you join us in kind of settling into maybe a new groove for us as we gather on Sunday mornings, and I'm excited for that. Um, and what a great time to be, again, moving into this book of Nehemiah, where if you're unfamiliar with the book of Nehemiah, uh, we're going to be covering about building, building things, especially in Nehemiah. He built a wall, and they ended up building it in like 52 days. It's incredible. How did they do that? Well, we're going to get into that, some of that today. Uh, Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah, if you found it uh, and you've got that ready on standby there on your, your app, book in the chair basket in front of your mobile device or whatever, um, we're going to be there in just a moment. But Nehemiah was written right probably around 430 and 420-ish BC. Remember, years are going in reverse until we get to zero, which is about the time of Christ's birth. Most likely not that exact moment, but that's a conversation for a, another time. Um, and so we're going backwards in numbers. And so between 430 and 420 BC, the book of Nehemiah was also probably and most likely compiled and written down by Ezra, the guy we previously read out of the 10 chapters as we closed out the Return to Me series. Um, and as, that's why, again, when, when we begin verse 1, chapter 1, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. 
uh, and that's most likely being transcribed and written down because Ezra and Nehemiah are working in the same place, living at the same time, and Ezra was kind of the, the catalog keeper, all right? Um, and so ne- Nehemiah is either telling this or writing this down and giving this to Ezra so that we have a record of what's going on here. And Nehemiah, as we closed out the end of chapter 1, the last verse, it says, Now I was cupbearer to the king. Now, I might not sound like much, but Nehemiah was actually very important to King Artaxerxes over there in Persia at the time. A cupbearer was this very special place, very uh, role of high position. And, and it was almost like, you know, uh, uh, your minion, you know, uh, a mini-me, a, an advisor who is constantly at the beck and call, a confidant of the king who he could bounce ideas off without pulling in a whole bunch of other people or assembling a whole team of advisors or let's make a committee to make a committee to then decide on this, how things go, right? This is just, hey, bro, you know, assistant person, come, let, let's, let's figure this out. So he was a cupbearer to the king. It wasn't just bring him wine all day. It was a very important, uh, very important role. And most likely, the reason we don't read about any genealogy that we read about in Ezra, about Nehemiah's family coming with him from Persia to Jerusalem and Judea, is because he was a eunuch, all right? That means we're not going there. That means that no reproduction going to happen, okay? That was just a thing that was done Oh, goodness. Okay, we're not going there, all right? Um, so we're not going to read about Nehemiah's family, but he had a very important uh, role uh, to the king. And we closed uh, near the end of the Re- Return to Me series giving a hint about where we're going, and we're going to talk about that today as we get into this series together and Nehemiah. But basically, Nehemiah is broken down into three sections. In chapter one, and we covered at the end of the Return to Me series, is this word we cannot get past, which is why we spent nine weeks talking about it, and we're not done talking about it ever. And that word is repentance. When we need to come back to the Lord and repent. Say, God, I'm sorry. We sang about it earlier. I'm sorry for even the thing we made about worship, the first song and the last song, bookends even, of our worship time this morning. And I'm sorry. Well, what are you sorry for, for God? How have you broken his law. Is there any single one of us who made it through scot-free this past week? I can tell you that. We need to repent. And we need to be a people in the habit of regular repentance. We need to be in a place of, of regular brokenness, seeking the heart of God for the reconciliation of our sins and our, our failures. The second two steps after repentance, then that opens the door to reconstruction. And so we see again in chapter 1, there's Nehemiah, as soon as I heard these things, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. He repented and said, man, we've done wrong, we've messed up, and it wasn't even me who did it. It was the generations that came before me, and we repent of that. And then the doors open saying, now let's, start, now let's start building something. And so that's what we're going to get into in a couple chapters, not today, about building something, reconstruction. As we shift out of the round and then here, there's more going on here than meets the eye. It's like transformers, okay? As we shift here, there's more going on that we see. 
And God is doing a work in us. God is doing a work in our church. And it's more than just rearranging the chairs and putting up stained wood panels. All right? There's a reason behind what we're doing. There's a reason behind what God is doing. We need to be a part of the reconstruction. And that then leads to step number three, restoration. And that for the people in Jerusalem, once the wall was built, then the safety is secure. And that's the last few chapters of the book. So there's kind of a, a vision about where we're going. But I want you to know these steps. Repentance comes first. That's why a couple messages ago, you can't, you can't skip step one. You've got to start with Repentance. And it's not a popular word, and you're not going to hear it a lot of places. But that's where we have to begin. We have to repent. And next week, two days from now, 18 days from now, you have to do it again. And again, it keeps us humble, coming back to the throne of God, saying, you are worthy, and I am not. And it keeps things in perspective for us when we are repentant. And then reconstruction. We're going to build something. And that's the phase we're in now. And I'm excited about it. Because it's being physically mirrored out for us. And you see a couple of things being built here over the couple, couple, next couple of weeks. You'll come in another week and be like, oh, that's, that's new. Oh, that's big. Oh, that's hideous. But it will be built. And we're going to be building together. And I'm excited about that. And then finally, restoration. And we're going to get close to that. On Easter. So we're going to pick up here into uh, chapter 2, but I want to highlight one verse, one more time, in verse 9 of chapter 1. And some of these aren't going to be on screen, but the big ones, the important ones are. All right? And this is Nehemiah saying the words of the God, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But God says, if you return to me, that's where we both began the last series and ended it. If you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, Though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. Now we're going into chapter 2. In the month of Nisan, Hyundai, and Toyota, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, this tells you already, Nehemiah ain't no dummy. He's waiting until the wine is out to drop something big in front of King Art of Xerxes. I took up the wine because it was his job. Why? He was a cupbearer to the king. I took up the wine and I gave it to the king. Now, now, I had, now I had not been sad in his presence. I've been putting on the mask. I've been pretending. I've been putting on the face so that everybody else thinks everything is okay. Well, what's wrong, Nehemiah? His heart is broken if you read the previous chapter, because he found out what was going on back in the land of his ancestry. And again, he never has lived there. He didn't grow up there. He has no home there. He has no timeshare there. He does not vacation there. But his heart is broken for there. And so he's sad. He, he can't keep it in anymore. And, and he's sad. He comes before the king, and he have not been sad in his presence, but the king noticed. Maybe that's why he's king. Smart man. The king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? You don't have to cough, you don't have to cough, do you have to cough? I take care of you if you're sick. It's another Forrest Gump. All right, so, all right, so you're not sick. What's with the face? 
This is nothing but sadness of the heart. I can see it. It's reeking, eking out of you. And, and then I was very much afraid. Why is he afraid? Because you've got to be happy for the king. Like You've you got to be his right-hand man. And just, Hooray, everything is great. They couldn't hide it any longer. And so I, he lets it out. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what are you requesting? What do you want, Nehemiah? And in that moment, I love this intersection here. Before he answers, what does he do? He prays. Like in that small section of time, if nothing else, it's a reminder to us that you can always pray. Before you answer, pray. Someone's calling before you pick up, pray. If that's one of those conversations. Mother-in-law. Just kidding. I've, I love my mother-in-law. We have a good relationship. Maybe you don't. Maybe for you it's brother, cousin, sister, uncle. I don't know. So in that intersection, that moment of time, before you reply to that email, before you hit send on that text, and please, before you post that comment on social media, you pray. So I pray to the God of heaven. And then I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah. I know I'm your advisor. I know you like when I bring you the cup. It's my job. But if you, if you will let me go, if I've found favor in your sight, you send me to Judah, the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone? And when will you return? And I love this because you see here in verse 6, the king has already made up his mind. He's going to let him go. Not how long would you be gone. What's the possibility of this? No, I'm going to let you go. How long will you be gone? When are you going to return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. We don't know exactly what that time was, but we know he was gone for years. Years. I don't know where the king got his wine from. He had to go get it himself. Probably he's got a new cupbearer. Poor eunuch. Nehemiah is gone, and he, and he comes back a little bit later, and then he's sent away again. Right? It's much, much later. But they, they decided whatever this time frame was, was good. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, it's not enough to let me go. Now I'm going I'm to ask for more. I'm going to pray. <laughs> and so when I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. I need a get-out-of-jail-free card that I've been sent by you through these foreign lands because, I don't know if you know this, back in the day, like if you wanted to go here from Florida to Missouri and it, the, the states between were filled with enemies, you would not make it to Missouri. They're going to kill you. But you have a passport from the king. The king, and this was the king, had a massive empire. You're going to let him through. So he goes. 
Please, the king, let letters be given me. I can go through these foreign lands until I come to Judah and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that I may have trees. I need lumber. I need timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress that we're going to build of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. I need a house when I get there. And the king granted me what I asked for the good hand of my God was upon me. That's where we're going to stop for today's big passage. There were the Amorites and the Samaritans and other people groups that once he even got to Judea and Jerusalem were probably going to make things very difficult for Nehemiah. And the king granted his request. I want to specifically highlight a couple of verses. Look again at verses 4 and 5. And the king said to me, What are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And we're looking at we're going to pull a couple of points out of that for us today. And they are important ones as we begin this series. We're laying the groundwork for where we're going. Number one, you are sent. You are sent. Where am I sent to? Fortunately, Jesus answers this for us in Matthew chapter 28. And you don't have to turn there, but I will. Beginning in verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, the mountain in which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to him, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, you are sent, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of of the age. You and I are sent cupbearers of the king, emissaries, sent out into the nations of your neighborhoods, your workplaces, the Walmarts, the Targets, the Publixes, the people on the street, the people at the car wash. The people you need to go out of your way to have a conversation with that begins with simply, hey, do you know Jesus? Because I do, and he's changed my life. And I want you to know what I know. I want you to share in what I have in salvation and in eternity in heaven. This is good news, yeah? And you and I are sent to go And make disciples of all nations. And church is a great place for us as a a group, a gathering of people to, to come into many days a week. But I'm going to be honest. Most disciples you make won't be made here. You will make disciples out there. One on one. 
life on life, living together, encouraging one another. Reaching out to them and saying, hey, how's your day? Oh, it's okay. More importantly, how's your spiritual life with Christ? And start there. You and I are sent. And we cannot bypass that. We cannot avoid it. We cannot overlook it. We cannot forget it. We are sent. And if you don't know where you're sent, you have a problem, right? You got to figure that out. You got to pray just as Nehemiah prayed. Because God has the destination in mind already. But you got to be willing to go there. And most often I find that I feel like I'm sent to the uncomfortable places. To the uneasy conversations. To the difficult people. I'm sure you can think of a few. Don't say their names. I'm going to pray for them. You are sent with the message. Well, what's the message? The good news. The gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ lived, died, was raised from the dead. On the third day, ascended into heaven so that you and I could have salvation for eternity. Is that a message worth sharing? Is it complicated? So then what's our hold up? They might look at me weird. Might not want to talk to me next time. Maybe God did you a favor. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> like, who knows, man? But do your job, and your job is that you are sent. Because your primary role on planet Earth is not to be an electrician, it's not to be a stay at home mom, it's not to be a dental assistant, not to be an elementary school teacher. Not to, not to be in child care or an engineer. Your primary job is that you are sent. Guess what? God's already got you where he needs you to be. So be. And be sent. I want you to walk in tomorrow or this afternoon and wherever you go to that normal place and know I'm sent here. I had a friend of mine who's now in prison for four years. Guilty, not guilty at this point, doesn't matter. Things did not go his way, I'll tell you that. But before he went in a couple weeks ago, he and I got together, because I love this man, he's my brother. We got the same tattoos and everything. Fraternity friend of mine, I've known this guy for 20 years, stepped in front of a bus for this guy. I'm like, man, you need to, and he's a follower of Jesus Christ, and I'm thankful for that, because he and I are on the same wavelength. And we're talking before he went in. I'm like, dude, you are, you are going to prison because God needs you in prison more important than he needs you with your wife. God needs you in prison right now more, more importantly than he needed you as an elementary school or a secondary high school educator. You're on a four-year mission trip, bro. You are sent. Most of the New Testament was written from prison. Be sent. The second thing 
is that once we are sent, we are meant to build. We are meant to build. So the sent is the go, part of the Great Commission we read in Matthew, right? Go, sent, equal verbs, be send, send, right? Go, send. That's the go. And make disciples, build people. Build things, build God's kingdom, build the church. We, there are two scriptures we're going to look at that are going to both warn us and encourage us about the building. I love it because God has a funny way of tying things together. And Ben read a scripture earlier this morning that we're going to read again now. Uh, this was in our pre-planning time. And I think God's just one of those like, hey, highlight moments. Um, in Psalm 1, 2, 7, just verse 1 and 2. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. And i got to be honest with you. There are a lot of churches that are building large followings and building large buildings, but they are not building the kingdom of God. We cannot be a church like that. Fortunately, I believe those are in the few. Most churches, most pastors are passionate about leading their people towards discipleship. And building the kingdom of God, not a name for themselves, and are humble. And we need to be a church like that, right? But I hope you at the same time don't feel the weight of we have to build this. No, we just have to be obedient. God is going to build our church, amen? God is going to build us, amen? But we need to be ready to be builders, not bystanders. We've got to take an active part in the life of this body of Christ. Not just putting up shiplap, but building each other up. Building relationships. I know there's people in this room who you don't know that well. You know their name. You might see them maybe four out of every seven weeks. Have you ever been to lunch with them? Nope, fix it. Are you in a small group with that person? Nope, start one. You see where I'm going with this? We're going to be kingdom builders, church builders. But if you think this is on your shoulders, you're going to start off wrong. And God is continuing to teach me not only patience, not only letting go of control, because I can't tell you how much my heart wanted to be here over this last week. As I said at home, I got text message screenshots at 10.30 at night of the progress that they were doing that I wanted to help out with. And that's just a, a simple project. My heart wants to be here. I want to serve and lead with you. And what, what I found is my, my, it wasn't breaking my heart that I wasn't using a, a nail gun to put boards on the wall. My heart was broken because I love serving with the Aventos. 
and with Brad and with Ryan and with Rick. I love doing life with these people. They're my friends, as you are. And I miss being with them. The project is just a, a side, it's just an excuse for us to get together. The weight of building this church and its success is not up to me. It's not up to you. It's up to God. We just need to be obedient. They give when he says give. Serve when he says serve. And lead when he says lead. The other passage we're going to quickly look at on building is going to be found in Ephesians 2 chapters, very short verses. Chapter 2, and again, you don't have to turn there, but chapter 2, verses 19 through 22, Paul writes this. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. We should know each other. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, built on the foundation of Christ Jesus himself, built on him being the cornerstone. It all goes back to Jesus. And generation after generation of martyrs and faithful grandmothers and single fathers and orphaned children who followed Christ have led us to this moment. Think about that. Since Jesus and the twelve, everything is the domino effect of a relationship. Someone leading someone else to Christ. Someone building someone else into a disciple. Someone building someone else into a leader. There was no internet 2,000 years ago. Someone couldn't Google how to become a Christian. There was no Bible 2,000 years ago that we have. It's only OT. The O-G-O-T. Oh, Testament. That was it. And not even everybody had that. Because there's this thing called language. And they spoke different ones. It wasn't Google Translate. The access that we have is, is built upon the foundation of people who have died for the faith. And lived for it. Can we say the same about us? What will the generation be that follows you? What will your legacy be for Christ? Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. A couple pages later, chapter 4, a couple verses, beginning in verse 11. And he, Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers all to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, to build the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, 
to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, infants in our thinking, infants in our action, infants in our emotions even, tossed to and fro by the waves of, of culture and politics and movements and social justice. Those things don't affect us according to Christ. No, we are, we are not tossed by those things to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of, of alternate doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him, more like Christ who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body, the church now, not physical, joined and held together, by every joint with which it is equipped, for each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it, underline, builds itself up in love. We are not to build ourselves up in works. We are not to build ourselves up in projects. We are not to build ourselves up in, in outside events. We are to build ourselves up in love. And so we are not only sent, we are meant to be builders. We are meant to build. And as we begin this series in Nehemiah, we've got to start here. Because hopefully over the last nine weeks, we've got a foundation of a repentant spirit. Now let's let God build Are you ready to let God build you and make you new yet again? Yeah? Yes? Maybe? I don't know. And that's one of the reasons why the change, because sometimes change for the sake of change is good. I've been in too many churches and visited too many others where there was a phrase, that's the way it's always been here. And someone donated a, a, a bench that is now broken, and there's a small brass plaque with someone who died 82 years ago and left $50,000 to a weird church account that then no, they are no longer allowed to touch because she donated it for purple choir stoles. How much could that do? Nope, can't touch it. She don't, designated it for purple choir stoles. Well, we don't need purple choir She can't, doesn't matter. And that's why here at True Life Church, we just have one large account. Not designated piecemeal for student ministry or music ministry or any other ministry. You give to the church, and the church disperses what the church needs. And we can't be a church. I'm not saying we are at all. I'm thankful in many ways that we're not. That we aren't going to be a place where that's the way it's always been here. Because I'm going to rearrange the chairs and you're not going to know where your old seat was. You're going to hate it. It's going to be too cold, too hot, too dark, too light, too loud, too soft, and a whole bunch of other things. That's not why we come. We come to worship together, right? And to build each other up in love. Now, if you lovingly tell me it was too cold... We'll work on adjusting the thermostat, right? But if you put an a, a anonymous card in the box saying it was too cold, you know where that goes? 
That goes to the suggestion box, which is a plastic bag that then goes out to the dumpster twice a week. Let's be in a relationship with each other. Let's build each other up in love and let God build us. Are you ready to be built? And then more importantly, also, are you ready to help build someone else? Because you are sent. So are you letting God build you, number one, and then number two, who are you building? Because you're either building somebody up or you are tearing them down. There is no status quo. I want to be a part of building, right? My son's playing with Legos now. It's fantastic and painful. Because the pain in Legos is either when your foot finds them or we're going to have to work on this organizational system we have at home because it's zero right now. All the blocks he has are in one container. I'm not talking Duplos. I'm talking the the tiny little black awkward pieces that are meant to go on like the front headlight of one car in the design book, you know? And and so I'm sitting there with, with my four-year-old, and I love it because we're building now, but we aren't building. I'm building <laughs> what he wants to build. And I got to tell you, as a father, I enjoy every minute of it. And I got to think at some level that's the way or a way that God might look at this situation. Because just like Nehemiah, King says, what's your request? What do you want? What are you asking for? And so he prays. And then the king grants the request. So church, not to me, not to each other, but to God, what are you asking for? Are you asking for God to build you? Are you asking for an opportunity to build somebody else? Because we are sent. And we are meant to build and I'm ready and excited for what God is going to build in us as a church this year. I think version 8.0 is going to be the best one yet. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the purpose you have for us to be sent to be built, and to be in the work of building. God, what a joy. And what might seem like a monumental task, but it's not up to us. So help us just take a breather. This is actually easy. Be obedient and trust you. Done. But God, sometimes it's hard to follow through with. So give us the courage, the strength, responsibility, the opportunity to be a part of being sent and being a builder. And help us be building up this church for your glory, for your kingdom, not our own. One day the sign out front may not say True Life Church. One day there might be a different pastor here. We're not building my name. We're not building that name. We are building up 
the name of Jesus Christ so that it can be known throughout all the nations, throughout all the neighborhoods. That's what we're building. Upon the foundation of, of you. Because without you, there is nothing. And we don't want to labor in vain. We don't want to build and fail. We want what we're building to stand, right, church? We want our kids, 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 kids to be a part of this church, right? I do.